Learning to love oneself is an essential journey that requires patience, self-compassion, and practice. Yet it is something that people come to me for in the forgiveness work because so many of us hate ourselves. Yeah, we hate ourselves. So how do we go from hate to love? I've got some ideas. So listen in. Hi, I'm Brenda Reese, freedom and forgiveness coach and a person just like you that is learning to navigate life and all of its challenges. I teach a forgiveness process like no other. It's a blend of practical and spiritual forgiveness. This process guides you into knowing how unforgiveness can be keeping you stuck in your relationships, both personally and professionally, and how it prevents you from releasing resentment and finding joy. Each week, I share practical and some not-so-practical tips, tools, and advice from myself and other people that are on this journey just like us. This is for you if you are ready to turn your pain into peace. Welcome to the Forgive Yourself Podcast. Today, I wanted to share about self-love, what it is, why it's important, and some steps you can take to practice it. So first, I want to talk about what is self-love. Self-love is where you have an appreciation, kind of like you've heard of a positive regard for yourself. It's really related to self-esteem and self-compassion. Yet when we have a strong sense of self-love, then you can understand your own value and treat yourself in a loving way. Now, some people will compare this to narcissism, yet narcissism is excessive self-absorption and self-interest, and it's more associated with poor mental health, whereas self-love is a positive trait, and it's associated with a healthy mentality. Loving yourself is knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, weaknesses, likes, dislikes, having your dreams, knowing where you stop and someone else starts. Self-love has a positive effect on your well-being and your relationships. So why is self-love important? Self-love is critical to our overall well-being. It's not about holding ourselves to a really high standard like we can do with perfectionism yet, but rather it's more about liking ourselves just the way we are. Without self-love, studies show that we can lack motivation. And with motivation, it helps us to take action. And we can also take risks, especially with new opportunities. So I mentioned that self-love and self-compassion were closely related, but they're not the same. So let's talk about the difference before going into some action steps today. Self-love is all about whether or not you like yourself. It's about your ability to find yourself worthy of a good life, worthy of trust, worthy of admiration, and worthy of care. Self-compassion is more about our ability to forgive ourselves and be gentle when we feel we have made mistakes. They do go hand in hand, as I want to share with you, because it does take something different to develop each one. And today's focus is going to be about self-love, but you're going to see in a moment how self-compassion plays a huge role in developing self-love. So are you ready to love yourself? 
All right, I am. We're going to talk about four steps. And within each step, I'm going to talk about some practices. So there's a lot in here today that I want to share with you to help you cultivate self-love. So the first step is practice self-compassion. So this is about being kind to yourself and treating yourself with the same understanding and empathy that you would offer to a friend facing difficulties. So what you want to do is acknowledge that everyone makes mistakes, right, and experience challenges, and that it's okay to be perfect. We need to remind ourselves. Now, this sounds all good, right? Yet, how do we develop this self-compassion? Developing self-compassion involves really cultivating a mindset of kindness, understanding, and acceptance towards yourself. So let's talk about some practical steps to help you build some self-compassion. First one is recognize that we humans have a commonality. When we understand that everyone faces challenges, makes mistakes, and experiences pain, then we know we're not alone. When you know you're not alone in your struggles, and it's part of the shared experience of the human experience, we then can create more understanding for each other and ourselves. Another one is practicing mindfulness. Now, you may be tired of this word, yet mindfulness is actually becoming aware of your emotions and thoughts without judgment. So mindfulness helps you observe your inner experiences with really a gentle and accepting attitude. Creating this awareness takes practice, yet when you set the intention every day to be aware of your emotions and thoughts, you're going to start recognizing them, and then you will be able to have a choice to change them. Remember, we can't change what we're not aware of. So the third one would be treat yourself as you would treat a friend. So we all know this, yet do we practice it? So I'm going to remind you that you can imagine how you would respond to a close friend who is going through a tough time. Offer yourself that same level of care, empathy, and support. The fourth idea is to challenge self-critical thoughts. All right, let me see a raise of hands. Yep, I got it too. How many of us have self-critical thoughts? But what we can do is when we notice self-critical thoughts, we can challenge them. Ask yourself if you would say the same thing to a friend in a similar situation. Then you can replace that critical or negative thought with more of a compassionate and constructive one. We're going to go more into this in step number two. Now, the fifth one would be practice self-kindness. This is a tough one. If we've been so used to beating ourselves up, you know, like I spent most of my life doing, we can go back to that friend idea and ask ourselves if we are treating ourselves with kindness, like you would a friend, especially during difficult times, being understanding and patient with yourself as you would with somebody you care about. This can change these neural pathways in our brain, practicing self-kindness. The sixth one is writing a self-compassion letter. This is one of my favorites. So write a letter to yourself, acknowledging your struggles and expressing compassion and understanding. 
You can also add to it, what have you really, I'm going to say accomplished, but what also can you celebrate in your life? Not just your struggles, but what can you celebrate? And then read this letter whenever you feel self-doubt or self-criticism creeping in. You can be your own best friend. The seventh one is set realistic expectations. Now, this is a great reminder for those of us that have a tendency to set very high expectations of ourselves. Become aware of the bar you set. Get curious as to why you set that bar so high. When did you start setting such high expectations for yourself? Was it in childhood? Maybe to please the parents? To get attention? Is it out of wounding? Were we trying to get love? When we have an awareness of why we do this, then we can decide if it's time to lower that bar a bit and give ourselves, and of course those other people around us, a break. And what we want to do instead is celebrate your progress and efforts, no matter how small they may seem. And for self-compassion, it's really important to practice self-care. Now this is where we engage in activities that nurture you physically, emotionally, and mentally. Taking care of yourself reinforces the message that you deserve love and care. And I talk about this one quite a bit, and that is to seek support. Sharing your struggles with trusted friends, family, a coach, or a therapist is actually liberating for your heart and your mind. Talking about your experiences can provide validation and help you gain a new perspective. And the last one for self-compassion is practice regularly. Cultivating self-compassion is a process that takes time and practice, just like forgiveness. So be patient with yourself and continue to work on it consistently. Now we have in step number two in learning to love ourselves is to challenge that negative self-talk. To challenge our negative self-talk, we need to pay attention to our internal dialogue and challenge any negative thoughts or self-critical beliefs. And then we want to replace them with positive affirmations and encouraging statements. Challenging our self-critical thoughts takes practice and self-awareness. So to do that, of course, because you know I like steps, I have some steps to help you effectively challenge and reframe those negative thoughts. So the first one is you got to identify them. So we start by becoming aware of when those self-critical thoughts arise. Pay attention to the situations or triggers that led to these thoughts. Okay, you're creating awareness. Number two is question whether it's valid or not. Once you notice a self-critical thought, ask yourself, is there any evidence or support to refute this? Is the thought based on facts or assumptions? And we can simplify it and just simply say, is this true? Maybe sometimes it might be true, but most of the time, it's not. Number three is where we consider alternative perspectives. Now, you know I like to shift our perception or our perspective around our stories as I teach in the forgiveness process. So this is where we would try to see the situation from a different perspective. Imagine how a friend or a loved one would view the same situation and what they might say to you, okay? 
So this is all about changing those self-critical thoughts. The fourth one would be challenge our distorted thinking. Many self-critical thoughts involve cognitive distortions, such as all-or-nothing thinking, we can overgeneralize, or, or we can mentally filter things. Not in our favor, of course. So challenge these distortions by finding more balanced and realistic thoughts. Now we can also, our fifth one would be finding evidence of success. So we can counter this self-criticizing by recalling those achievements, right? Like we're going to write in that letter. What are our past achievements, successes, and what positive feedback have we received from others? Remind yourself of your capabilities and strength. This is powerful for overcoming those critical thoughts. Now you can also use affirmations, um, developing positive affirmations or coping statements to use when those self-critical thoughts arise and you can repeat these. So it's a really good idea and we've talked about this in other episodes about how to say different ones like, oh, when you hear yourself say I'm stupid, it's like, wow, you know, I'm a pretty smart person, okay? Just changing it like that or, uh, or no, I'm not stupid. Actually, I'm pretty smart. Okay, we can change that or look at what, and you can you can use to make an affirmation more believable. You can actually use a realistic. It's like when you think of I'm stupid, you can go, well, you know what? I did a superb job on that last podcast. I did a superb job on this project at work, right? We can switch that. We really need to train our brain to be able to think differently. We need to also set realistic standards. Now, a lot of us have these wonderful perfectionistic tendencies, and we get to recognize that perfection is unattainable and that it's okay to make mistakes. So if we set more realistic standards for ourselves, we can really help calm our nervous system down so we don't feel like we're failing all the time. And we have focus on growth and learning. So we can view setbacks and mistakes or or perceived mistakes as opportunities for growth and learning rather than failure. And this is one thing I've really worked on um, because I really thought I was a failure if I failed. I had that deep, deep belief. And it showed up ever. It kept me frozen from doing my business. It kept me frozen at projects and my job. It kept me frozen from going into relationships. So when we can view ourselves as everything is a learning opportunity, we're going to be able to embrace our challenges as a chance to improve rather than viewing ourselves as a mistake. Practicing gratitude is huge for shifting our focus to things um, that are more higher vibration, I'm going to say, because gratitude shifts the hormones in your brain. And I have a friend that's a, that neuroscientist that talks about this all the time, that cultivating gratitude can really help balance out negative thinking patterns. And what you really want to do is kind of picture yourself, use your brain in a positive way as far as picturing yourself succeeding and overcoming these challenges. Because when we can visualize a better outcome, it actually is proven through studies that we can boost our confidence. 
right? Which replaces our self-critical thoughts with positive images. And then the last one would be seeking support. Again, this is so key. Reach out to friends and family, coach or therapist. When your self-critical thoughts become overwhelming, talking about your feelings and experiences can provide that perspective and validation of what you want to change. The third step we're going to talk about today, all about learning how to love ourselves, is setting boundaries. Yeah, we've heard this a lot, but I really want to talk about it because I've got some ideas for you that you may have heard of and you may not. But when we can learn to say no to things that drain our energy or make us feel overwhelmed, this is how we set boundaries because it's essential for maintaining a healthy relationship with ourselves and others. Because setting boundaries with others is essential for maintaining healthy relationships and personal well-being. So let's go ahead and talk about some steps right now to help you establish and communicate your boundaries more effectively. So to set a boundary, it's going to take, the first one is self-reflection. Before setting boundaries, I would like you to take some time to reflect on your needs and your values and your limits, right? We all have limits. We can't keep saying yes to things we need to say no to. So let's consider what makes you feel comfortable or uncomfortable in different situations and relationships. Number two is identify your boundaries. Okay, how we do that is we determine specific boundaries that we want to set. So now these boundaries can be physical, which is personal space. They can be emotional, which is communicating your feelings. They can be time-related, work-life balance, or relational, which is expectations in a friendship or a partnership. Now, when it comes to setting boundaries for yourself, learning to say no is valuable. This is a very powerful boundary-setting tool. It really is. I mean, studies... (laughs) are showing this and how many books out there are telling us say no. I would like you to think of the things that you have wanted to say no to in the past, but you said yes and things you said yes to when you really wanted to say no. This will help you as you are identifying the boundaries you want to set. The third idea is to communicate clearly. When you're ready to set a boundary, communicate it clearly and assertively using I statements to express your needs, feelings, or concerns. For example, I need some alone time after work instead of you always invade my personal space. This is also about communicating with yourself. Remind yourself why these boundaries are necessary for your well-being and growth. We need to talk to ourselves to remind ourselves why we're doing this. And I remember as a single mom coming home from, you know, picking up the kids from daycare, coming home and, and having just feeling overwhelmed and just needing some time. And I had to communicate that with the kids as far as mommy needs a little bit of time. I also did that in my marriage. It's like we both needed time to kind of just let down before we can engage with each other. It's very healthy. A fourth idea that we want to look at is choose the right time and place for the boundary. Meaning, timing and location matter. So find an appropriate and private setting to discuss your boundaries if it's involving someone else. 
because we want to avoid addressing sensitive issues during like heated or emotional moments because that's not the time when we're in the middle of an argument. Okay, gosh, I've done this. (laughs) All of a sudden, I haven't said anything and we're having this argument and I'm all of a sudden asserting myself and setting boundaries. Well, that's really not the time and place for them to be heard and valued. So I encourage you to choose the right time and place. The fifth one would be, be firm, but respectful. Maintaining a respectful and assertive tone when expressing your boundaries helps in the communication because we do not want to be aggressive or confrontational. Like I said, I used to do that a lot. I would uh, assert myself a little bit more aggressively in an argument that did not get me what I wanted. What I wanted was to be heard and I wanted my boundary boundary to be honored. And I didn't do that in a respectful way. And I learned, I learned to do it in a respectful way. And now my boundaries are more honored. Another thing you might want to consider is explaining the why. Sometimes when we provide context, it can help others to understand the importance of our boundaries. Explaining why a particular boundary is essential and important to you and and how it benefits both parties can actually help the person soften and hear you better. We also want to have consequences, clearly defining consequences for boundary violations. So we want to make sure that, of course, they are proportionate and reasonable because consequences can help reinforce the importance of respecting our boundaries right? Just like we do with kids. Just like some of us, you know, at work, if you don't get this project done by this time, you're fired. (laughs) That's a clear boundary. You know, if you go ahead and if you backtalk me, you're in your room for this amount of time. So we can do that. We can define consequences for boundary violations. Very important. And we also want to enforce boundaries. It's crucial to follow through with the consequences you've established when someone violates your boundaries. Consistency is key to maintaining the integrity of your boundaries. Now, it can get tiring, right? Especially if somebody's pushing against your boundaries. And that's when you also need to reevaluate that relationship. If someone is constantly, and I'm talking adults, with kids, they kind of push our boundaries. They're learning. We get to help teach them, right? But in an adult situation, if somebody's constantly pushing up against your boundaries, it's time. It's time to reevaluate that relationship and for you to take a look at why am I even in this? Why am I putting up with this when my boundary keeps being pushed against or, or not respected? Because when we think about enforcing boundaries, we can look at a couple places where we can enforce our own boundaries too. And there's two areas around overcommitment and using technology mindfully. So to change the overcommitment boundary or to to reinforce this overcommitment boundary, you can consider the time and energy required for each commitment before agreeing to it. Instead of saying, sure, right, we're going to go, wait a second, let me get back to you. There's nothing wrong. You're not a bad person. And if somebody keeps pressing you, then you don't want to be a part of that. But you can consider the time and energy required for each commitment before agreeing to it. Give yourself time. You're worth it. And then with learning to use technology mindfully, you want to define specific times where you're going to disconnect or limit your screen time. 
This, my friend, is going to help your nervous system to relax and will actually help you be more creative because you're giving your body a break. And in this, we also do, we want to seek support. You want to share your boundary setting process with trusted friends, family members, coach, or therapist, because they can offer guidance, feedback, and emotional support. You also want to practice self-care to ensure you have the emotional strength to maintain those boundaries. Self-care you know, includes like the exercise, meditation, spending time with loved ones, spending time on your own, giving yourself that break from the overload of all the noise in the world and really establish or engage in a hobby that rejuvenates you. Cause a lot of us have given up those hobbies. Let's, let's all work on one together. What's your hobby? And what we want to do is have patience and understanding and remember that not everyone will immediately respect your boundaries. Some people may need time to adjust to your new boundaries. Be patient and understanding, but stay firm in your convictions. Like I said, if somebody keeps pushing on your boundary, it's time to reevaluate that relationship. And then I want you to acknowledge and celebrate your successes in setting and maintaining boundaries. Woohoo! We've got to celebrate. Our brain loves it when we celebrate. So recognize the positive impact that setting boundaries has on your own well-being and then your relationships. You're worth celebrating. And we've got step number four. And this one is near and dear to my heart, which is forgiving yourself. This is about self-love, right? Learning to forgive ourselves is where we let go of past mistakes and forgiving ourselves for any perceived failures. Remember that mistakes are opportunities for growth and learning. And in the forgiveness that I teach, there's really no mistakes because we're meant to experience things in life, no matter which way we look at it. Forgiving yourself is a powerful act of self-compassion, and it can be transformative for your emotional well-being. So I'd love to share with you some steps to guide you through the process of forgiving yourself. First, we can recognize and acknowledge the perceived mistake. So we can take an honest look at the situation that you need to forgive yourself for acknowledge this perceived, I'm going to say perceived mistake or the action that you feel guilty or regretful about. It's essential to face the truth and not avoid or suppress your feelings. You know, I'm not about suppressing feelings. I'm all about feeling the feelings. We can understand the impact. So we can reflect on how our actions may have affected others and how our actions affected ourselves. Recognize the emotions involved and be willing to accept that the impact helps you take you to responsibility for your actions. Creating the awareness and then taking responsibility for actions is powerful in forgiveness. Here's another of my favorites. Allowing yourself to feel those feelings. Give yourself permission to feel the emotions that come up. The guilt, the shame, the sadness, the anger. 
It's okay to experience these emotions. They are part of the healing process. We don't want to stay stuck in them, but we sure in the heck want to feel them because remember, we want them out of the body. Now, part of self-forgiveness is practicing self-compassion. See how they're, they're just kind of webbed together. This is where we be kind and understanding towards ourselves. We get to remind ourselves that everyone makes mistakes or perceived ones and that it's a natural part of being human. Treat yourself with the same compassion you would offer to a friend in a similar situation. And we just went on a whole bunch about practicing that self-compassion. The other thing that you can do in self-forgiveness is learn from this experience. Consider what you have learned. Reflect on how you can grow and avoid similar situations in the future. Learning from your experiences can turn them into opportunities for personal growth. A biggie would be to release judgment. Letting go of self-judgment and self-blame. Holding on to these feelings can prevent you from moving forward, right? And finding peace within yourself. I used to really judge myself so harshly and blame myself for everything. That's why we are the hardest people to forgive, right? The hardest forgiveness is ourselves because we have so many voices in our head judging us and blaming ourselves and proving that we are a mess. So we can identify those. We can be willing to let go of that judgment and self-blame and replace it like we just talked about with some truthful statements or being willing to question it. Is that true? Another idea is to write a forgiveness letter. So this I use with clients all the time and it's so powerful. Write a letter to yourself, okay? And you're going to write a letter and you're going to express your remorse, your regret. You're going to talk about the impact because that's important. And then you're going to express and talk about your willingness to forgive yourself. Use compassionate language and remember that you're a human and you're so worthy and deserving of forgiveness. And then you can also practice self-forgiveness meditations where you can focus on sending forgiveness and love to yourself, right? This practice can help you cultivate that forgiveness and acceptance. And there's quite a few of them out there about the self-forgiveness meditations and just where you can, the HeartMath Institute does a great job of using one where you're feeling really good about yourself. You just bring in that feeling you're breathing into your heart space and you're just bringing in that beautiful feeling of love for like a pet or maybe a place that really brings you joy and you're really expanding it with every breath in your heart. And then when you get to a certain point, you can also send it out to people and to the world. But it's a really good one for ourselves. I encourage you to engage in self-healing activities. So participating in activities for emotional well-being, such as journaling, okay, spending time in nature, again, going back to that hobby that you like, spending time with friends, having someone that you care about that listens and holds you in a non-judgment way, 
is really good for self-healing. And give yourself time. Forgiving yourself is a process that takes time, depending upon the severity and your emotional response. Be patient and gentle with yourself as you navigate this journey because it is a process. It's not overnight, but there are practices out there that can help us speed it up just a bit, like the radical forgiveness work that I teach, and it can help us shift our perspective around it a lot quicker than if it stays stuck in my head. And lastly, accept imperfection. This one was a tough one for me. (laughs) I would love it if you would embrace the fact that no one is perfect. And mistakes or perceived mistakes are inherent, are an inherent part of life. Accept that forgiving yourself is an ongoing process. And it's okay to feel like you've taken a couple steps backwards because you never have because we can never go back to the same place. But it's okay as long as you keep moving forward. So in conclusion, I'd like to share with you some things that I want you and me to remember. First is self-compassion is not about being self-indulgent or avoiding personal responsibility. It's about treating yourself with the same kindness, care, and understanding that you would offer to others. Because by being compassionate towards yourself, you can build resilience, cope with challenges more effectively, and you can foster a healthier relationship with yourself and others. And I'd like you and me to keep in mind that challenging our self-critical thoughts is an ongoing process. Be patient with yourself and celebrate your progress along the way. With consistent effort and self-compassion, you can gradually change negative thinking patterns, and that really encourages a more positive and constructive mindset. And as we practice setting boundaries as an also an ongoing process, this is going to require self-awareness, self-compassion, commitment to your well-being, clear communication, and consistency. It's a crucial skill for maintaining healthy relationships. And over time, you'll become more skilled at preserving your physical, emotional, and mental health through the power of boundaries. And remember that forgiving yourself is an act of self-love and growth. It allows you to move forward with a lighter heart, greater self-acceptance, and a deeper understanding of yourself. Seek support from friends, family, or a coach or a therapist if you find the process challenging or overwhelming. This support can provide guidance and a safe space for you to explore your emotions and experiences. We build self-compassion by forgiving ourselves for our mistakes or perceived mistakes and turning them into opportunities to learn. Once we develop self-love, Self-compassion then can come more easily. And then we develop self-love by getting to know ourselves, while we develop self-compassion by being gentle with ourselves. This is how self-love and self-compassion work hand in hand. This process of self-knowledge and self-discovery is a large part of what it takes to fall in love with ourselves. And that, my friend, is what I wish for you is fall so deeply in love with yourself that nothing can rock your foundation. 
Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, would you do me a favor and share this episode and then follow us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss one episode of the Forgive Yourself podcast, where every Friday you will get tips, tools, and stories so that you can turn your pain into peace. Take care.